reading from the second chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with the first verse. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. You ever heard somebody say something to the effect that that was so obvious I should have known? You ever had that experience? Something just snuck up on you, and you think, boy, I should have seen that coming. But in the meantime, you wonder, how in the world did I miss it? That seems so obvious. Why didn't I catch it? I can remember having that experience once listening to one of my favorite comedians. Any of y'all have a favorite comedian? Some of you might have favorite comedians you don't want to name. I'm not ashamed to name this guy's name's Tim Wilson. He says ugly words. There, I said it. <laughs> He's dead now. Might have been because he had a potty mouth. I don't know. 
But he said one day something about the British troops that showed up for the revolution. And I had never noticed it before. He said the British showed up for the revolution dressed like targets. Think about that. Remember? They had those X things across the white things. X marks the spot. How horrible an idea is that send all your infantry people into war with an X on their body. I had never noticed that until he said, I'd seen all those little drawings that we see in the history books when I was a kid. But when he said, I said, man, he's right. Who knew? One of the things that can happen with this story is it just gets lost in all the other stuff, right? The trappings of candles. I get so excited every year about lighting the candles and singing Silent Night. I forget about the rest of the service sometimes. I just kind of want to not say anything and get to that because I love that part. I, I, can't, I love watching kids opening presents, don't y'all? I love that part. I, I like seeing people be kind to each other this time of year. Now, one of the things that drives me nuts is when people say, can't, can't we even out our political discourse? It's the Christmas season. But you know, isn't every day now the Christmas season? Has Christ not been born? You know, when I finished seminary, I was like all the other people that didn't want to sing Christmas hymns during Advent. It's a rule. They teach you that in seminary. And one day, one of my well-meaning prisoners came up to me and said, well, you know, David, he's already been born. I thought, wow, that's true. So we can kind of sing those hymns all year if we wanted to, couldn't we? We could sing Silent Night in March. But we get caught up in things that make the obviousness of this day hide. It obscures it from us. Because we worry about whether or not our kids will like what we're getting them for Christmas, right? I read a blog post the other day this woman wrote. She said that, that they should put children in jail for how they treat parents over Christmas, basically. I thought that was kind of interesting. Because, you know, they force us to do all this stuff that we wouldn't do all the time, like wait in big giant lines to buy some stupid little thing that goes on your finger. I hope you got your finger, monkeys. If not, Amazon can't get them to you in time. There are no drones coming. But people are going to be mad if you don't have it, right? And we live in this awkward tyranny where, oh gosh, everybody's got to love what I get them, what I get them. And then we hear adults and grandparents say, I have to go by Christmas. And we tell stories about this guy that comes in your house in the middle of the night and that terrified me when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm like, no, this can't be. The door's locked. <laughs> And we teach our kids commercialism from the time they're two. And we teach them that Christmas is about something else. Because everybody says we have to. Because if we don't, they'll be mad at us. I serve on the board of a charity that's job is crisis work. Not buying Christmas presents at the end of the year. Because honestly, it's not a crisis. It's not the same as not having food. It's not the same as not having clean water. It's not the same as not having clothes. But all of that stuff gets obscured by the tyranny of the season. Hallmark did that to us with those horrible movies. And they did it on purpose. They show a hundred of them. They make men look bad, Jim. <laughs> the obvious... What did you say? Amen. <laughs> the obviousness and the wonder of the season gets lost in all the riffraff and the horror of it. 
and the pressure. If you think it's hard being you at Christmas, try being a clergy person. This is my 13th, no, 12th Christmas Eve sermon. And when I started thinking about it, I said, what in the world can I say that I haven't said in 12 years? This is my 13th year of doing it, but we took a year off when Samantha's grandfather died, and I didn't have a Christmas Eve service that night. And you know what I learned? I missed it. Bad. Because we need this moment to remind ourselves that tomorrow is not about all the stuff under the tree. It's not about the ham. Now, every time I eat a good ham, I give thanks for Jesus, you know, because otherwise we couldn't eat it. But it's not about that stuff. We asked around at Sunday school this morning, and one of our youths just said something beautiful about it. The two of them said beautiful things about what Christmas was to them. What is it to you? Where's the wonder in Christmas for you? I can't answer that for you, but I'm going to attempt to answer it for myself. But first I want to say, if the first answer for you comes in, you know, that fancy new makeup kit you're going to get or something like that, man, pay attention to the words we sing tonight. To the light in your hands. I remember one time I was telling the choir about this. I, I did a Christmas Eve service where we had the, held the candle all night, right? Um, not just at the end. And I quit doing that because somebody complained about burning her fingers. And she says, don't do that, I burned my fingers. I had to keep looking at that silly light. It's kind of the point. Right? We light the candle off the light of Christ, and the point is to remember that the light of Christ has come into a dark and hurting world, church. That's the point of the season, the light. That there was darkness and that everybody was hurt. Did you hear Isaiah said that? In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, a great light has dawned. To us a son is born, to us a child is given. Titus and Titus, Paul says, his glory has appeared, his grace has appeared. And you know what? Here's the wonder, dear ones, it didn't appear in a, in a gift wrap package. I did notice this year that I actually got the bow on the package, the same color as the gift wrap. Big move for me. You can clap if you want to. Thank you. It's not about those things. The wonder of Christmas is that son who is given, that child who is born. And I think one of the reasons that we're complacent enough to let that get hidden, to let that get covered up, is it's dirty. And it's ugly. Because it involves animals in a stable. It involves there being no room in the guest house they were going to. They went to their relative's house. Their relatives had a platform up in the thing that they slept on and the animals were on the floor. They could have been there. They could have been in the cave I saw in Bethlehem. And it was not clean. It's a dirty story filled with afterbirth and water and blood and crying and probably some screaming. And some fear and some terror. Because back then, it wasn't a guarantee your child was even going to be born alive, much less live through its first two days. And there was fear in it. And there was all kinds of emotions just overrunning with these people. And then all of a sudden, not very far away, some lowly shepherds 
standing in a field watching the sheep that would one day be carried to the temple and sacrificed at the Passover. Out there in that place called Bethlehem, had an angel appear to him and they said, don't be afraid. Because the light that came upon them just scared them. It was so different than the darkness they had been hiding in. And that's where we are. That's why we let the obviousness of this season get wrapped up in other stuff. Because it's scary to think that God, dear ones, God Almighty became one of us. That's the wonder of Christmas. God loved you so much that God had to become one of you. Love me that much. I'm breaking into the what it means to me part. And that happened in this crazy backwater town called Bethlehem that the best thing it ever did was give up some ruddy little kid named David. Barely known in the world. Except for being the city of David. But, you know, if you ask some people, now that's Jerusalem, right? Because he's more famous for that than he is for ever coming from Bethlehem. But Joseph is in the lineage of the king, and that's where he has to go. And he takes his fiancée who's pregnant. Scandal! It's not the little pastoral manger scene story we make it out to be. It's an ugly story, and it's a scary story. She could have been stoned to death. If someone found out. But she went with her fiancé. She didn't have to go. She went because she had been called to bear the Son of God into the world. And she cherished that calling in her heart. And one of the things I love about Christmas is that I believe it's part of my calling to bear the Son of God into the world. And I feel attached to Mary for that reason. And I love the mystery of that. That somehow in all my brokenness and all of my silliness, God uses me to do things that I don't expect. I love that this guy named Jesus, whose name means God will save, that when he was born, the angel stood above all creation and said, the Savior is born. And I'm humbled that He's called me to stand here tonight and tell you that the Savior is born and invite you to be glad and to be happy about it. And I love that God chose to have this guy be born in this little backwater town that meant nothing back then. Save that they raised the sheep there that were meant to be slaughtered in the temple on the Passover. And I love that that baby one day grew up and walking down a riverbank, his cousin saw him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This man who was born in Bethlehem grew up in Nazareth and one day walked into Jerusalem at the Passover to be our Passover lamb. And he shepherded himself there. He went willingly. He didn't need someone to push him like the Passover sheep did. He didn't need those shepherds to leave Bethlehem and bring him to town. He came on his own. And you know why he did that, church? Because he loves you. 
This guy who was born in this little dinky town, born the Son of God, born the Savior, went willingly to be sacrificed for us, to be the Lamb of God for us, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And that's why the angel said, unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love to remember that this time of year that we get to come to the table and be welcomed by the one who said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live forever. And we get to come and do that remembering this guy who was born in a town whose name means house of bread. Bethlehem. You ever seen a church named Bethel? It's Bet Elohim. Elohim is a Hebrew word for God. It means house of God. Jesus was born in the house of bread so that one day he could feed us himself. Give his life to us. And this all may seem like happenstance. It may seem like a bunch of circumstances that flitted together and later maybe somebody made it mean something. But dear ones, it was the plan of God that the bread of life would be born in the house of bread and laid in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is. It's not some cute little crib. Unless the people there were completely and utterly poor, it was a stone about this high that had a groove cut in the top of it. And she laid her baby in a feeding trough. And that was the sign for these shepherds that the king was laying there. Not an arsenal at the front door. Not a hundred strong men protecting him but laying in a feeding trough as a sign to us that He was given to us. To give us life. In the same way that the bread you will eat tomorrow in your feast will give you life. I don't want them to take my presence back, you know what I mean? But I'm going to risk it and say that those things are more important to me than whatever's under the tree. And what that helps me realize, dear ones, is the wonder of Christmas is not the music and the candles, the beautiful songs. It's not all that. It's a person. A nasty baby that spit up, that pooped on his mama, threw up on her, all those things that nasty babies do. That's the wonder of Christmas. God became us at our most vulnerable to save us from our vulnerability. That's the wonder of Christmas. I love all the warmth. One of my favorite things to do when I was a kid, take my glasses off and look at a Christmas tree. Now I have to take my contacts out, put them in a little cup, put some solution in there and come back and look at it. But when I was a kid, I could lay on the couch in the living room and just lift my glasses and watch the tree explode into fire. If you wear glasses and you're nearsighted, try that tonight. 
And as much as I love all of those things, there was the wonder of Christmas is Jesus. He is God who saves. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And dear ones, the good news I can share with you tonight is that he is with us now. He invites us to his table to offer himself to us to give us life. That, dear ones, is the wonder of Christmas. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.